Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start reading here in verse 8 in just a couple of minutes. We are making our way through the Ten Commandments, and we are now on the Fourth Commandment. It is the longest of the commandments. It is the one that comes with the most explanation, and it is one of the commandments that works its way through Scripture in powerful and probably for many of us this morning, very surprising ways. Now, even those of us who take the Word of God seriously, and we believe that the Word of God is the infallible Word of God to His people, when it comes to the topic of the commandment of the Sabbath day, it still gives us reason for confusion. We still don't know exactly what to do about it. Every time I talk about the Sabbath, I have some of the same conversations after service. Well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> The Sabbath is, is difficult, but I think when we spend some time on it this morning and we hear how God speaks of it here in Exodus and in other places in Scripture, and we expand our vision of what God is doing through the Sabbath, I think some powerful things are going to come clear to us. We know that it most certainly has a direct connection to the history of God's people in Egypt. And that connection will become obvious to us as we go through the scripture this morning. It seems sometimes to make most sense to us in an ancient context, but then we have a difficult time pulling the day of Sabbath into our lives here and now. So we don't always know what to do with it today. This is a different world and it's hard to take a day of rest and all that that could possibly mean. But I think it's going to surprise us. It is, after all, one of the Ten Commandments. In a little known passage in the New Testament, Jesus says only nine of them apply to you anymore. That's false. I'm kidding. All 10 of them still apply. We read them, and all the rest of them make sense. Yes, that applies. That seems right. This is God's commandment to his people. So is the Sabbath day. So is the Sabbath day. So what is there for us to learn? I think one of the ways that we look at it this morning is going to help us. I think we need to approach the Sabbath as a gift that God gives us. It is a gift he gives us that the world and our own sin nature conspire to take away from us. It is a gift that God gives and we stumble at it because we assume a certain kind of legalism or we have heard certain kinds of legalisms about the Sabbath day. But this morning, I hope we can walk away with a sense that is a gift for our good in our lives here and now with one another, our relationship with work, and it is for our good in our relationship with God as well. So this morning as we talk about the Sabbath, we're going to look at a couple of things specifically. First of all, God's commandment of the Sabbath creates a pattern of work and rest and worship. Creates a pattern of work, rest, and worship. So it's more than just a day of rest. It is consistently through Scripture also described as a holy day often a day that is holy to the Lord. So he commands us to keep the Sabbath because it's holy to him. And it becomes a larger pattern for the nation of God's people itself. It's not just a day. It does other things for the people of God through Scripture. It's going to encourage the value of good work. 
It's going to encourage the value of biblical work. When we think about what it means to work, we sometimes have these frustrated images in our heads, but we're going to get a chance to talk about biblical work. So it gives value to work. It also gives value to every human being. In this commandment, God begins to plant some seeds that will be continued through the rest of the book of Exodus and even Leviticus and the rest of the Old Testament that encourages us to see God-like value in everyone. God is giving this to a nation that has just walked out of generations of slavery and being treated as less than human. God now gives them the gift of the Sabbath, and in this gift, he says, you cannot treat anyone as less than human. Really powerful things happen in this. And then it reminds us over and over to put the worship of God into the routines of our lives. It forces us. It is a command God gives. It forces us to include the worship of God in the routines of our lives and that it does us good. So we're going to talk about this pattern of work and rest and worship. Then we're going to finish with this notion. God has created the Sabbath day so that we would remember God. God gives specific reasons for the Sabbath. The two times this commandment is given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God gives specific reasons for why we remember the Sabbath, and it is based on his creative act. It's based on creation, and it's based on salvation, and we're intended to remember those things. So the Sabbath command is so much more than just simple legalism. You're supposed to lay on the couch all day long, and you can't do anything else, although some days... That sounds very appealing, right? It's not simple legalism. It is a way to remember the power and the goodness of God. So let's read the commandment. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for it is a day, a holy day to the Lord your God. What happens in this passage of Scripture is an innovation. This is brand new in the ancient world. This does not exist in other cultures when God gives his people this commandment. 
Slaves did not get days off. And every culture in this ancient world would conquer other tribes and nations, treat them as slaves, and slaves don't have a pattern of work and rest. You can take the afternoon off. We don't need your work. That doesn't happen in that system. So now this freed nation of slaves is given this pattern of work and rest. It is an innovation that God gives his people. Ancient cultures had very different patterns that were worked around the mythologies of their gods. So they had to do with new moons and they had to do with the summer and the winter solstice and other pagan festivals. So as Israel is inside of Egypt, they're inside of a culture that hooks all of the rhythms and the patterns of their weeks and months and years. They're hooked into this pagan world. So we stop for this new moon. We do this for this festival because of this God and because of this goddess. God has freed his people from that, not just physically removing them from the patterns created by a pagan world. He is now theologically separating them from the patterns created by a pagan world. You are hooked to this system. I am now reattaching you to a different system that is based on me and who I am and what I did and what I am calling my people to do. So God continues to form and shape his people in his image. Notice how the description of why the Sabbath happens in this passage, because your God's the one who created everything. He did it in six days. He rested on the seventh, so he blessed that day. That day became holy, and now you're going to recognize that day week after week after week for every generation. So now the patterns of the lives of God's people are hooked onto him and who he is. Many in Jewish and Christian traditions for a long time have called the Sabbath Israel's gift to humanity, this pattern of work and rest. The pattern is humane. It's going to give us value for every human being. So it creates human value. It turns out, and this is another large conversation, but it turns out that it creates economic value as well. It is good for them as people, as ranchers, as herdsmen, as vine dressers, as craftsmen. It's good for them. It's good for their economy, as a matter of fact. And it respects, and I love this detail, it respects creatures and creation. You're not allowed to hook your oxen up to the plow on the Sabbath day. You need to take all of that burden off of your donkey's back on the Sabbath day because they get a rest too. God is teaching us incredible things with the Sabbath. So the Sabbath itself, let's think about it biblically for a couple of minutes before we get into a couple of other details. Some of you may remember that this is not the first time the Sabbath was given to the people of God. The first time the Sabbath was commanded to God's people is in Exodus chapter 16 in the story of the manna and the quail. They're complaining they don't have food, so God gives them this gift of manna, and he's teaching them, I will provide for you every day while you are in the wilderness. And every morning you wake up for five days, this stuff, remember what manna means? What is it? 
That's literally the name of this food. I don't know what this is. God places it on the ground for them at five days, and they every day go out and they work to gather their food, and they have it all day long. On the sixth day, God says, go out and gather two days' worth, because on the seventh day, there's not going to be any. God actually forces them to not work on that day. So in chapter 16, God says, this is the Sabbath day. You're going to rest on the seventh day. In fact, I'm not even going to give you work to do on the Sabbath day. So this is how God introduces this notion to them. Then we read it inside of the Ten Commandments here in chapter 20. But the Sabbath pattern grows through Scripture. It becomes part of the character of the people of God. It's not just the weekly character, but the yearly character, even a, even a pattern of decades as we watch it unfold through Scripture. A couple of chapters later in Exodus chapter 23, listen to this part of the commandment in verses 10 and 11. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. We'll get to flesh that out more when we get to Exodus chapter 23. But did you notice what else gets a Sabbath? Every seventh year, your land gets to breathe. The soil gets to breathe. It gets to re-enrich itself. You're not going to make it toil for fruit, for wine, for everything else that you grow. The land itself is going to get rest. So you've got this pattern of the seventh year for the land. You go further in the Old Testament. It happens in Leviticus chapter 25. It's an interesting concept, but we're just going to introduce it briefly here this morning. It is something called the year of Jubilee. So you've got a pattern of seven days, and then you've got a pattern of seven years. And in the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, you have a pattern of a 50th year, seven years of seven years. So we go through 49 years of this. Then in the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee. And what happens in that year? So roughly once every generation in the year of Jubilee, all debts go to zero. If anyone is working off their debt for you, if anyone is in this culture, we would have used the word servant or slave. If anyone is working for you like that, you let them go, you free them, even if their debt is not done on the year of Jubilee. The land lies fallow again so that the land can breathe every 50th year. So God builds in this, this care for our neighbor, this care economically for our neighbor, care for creation as well. In fact, this is such an important commandment to God that we learn further on. And this, okay, now this is teacher Phil here for just a couple of minutes. You go further in the history of the people of God and they get exiled by the nation of Babylon. And for, they get exiled for 70 years. They're taken as slaves back into Babylon. When you go to the end of 2 Kings and end of 2 Chronicles, the text tells us why Israel was taken into exile. It was because they failed to give the land rest. So God says, I will give the land rest for the 70 years that you took it from it. Isn't that interesting? So this is how seriously God takes this pattern of work 
and rest and even recuperation. This is important to God. So it is this pattern of work and rest. As far as I can tell in the Old Testament, every time the Sabbath is discussed, it is always called holy. Here it is introduced in Exodus 20 as a holy day to the Lord. You follow this through the rest of the Old Testament and somewhere in that verse or in that context, it's going to call it holy. And in fact, there are places where it's called a holy convocation. What is a convocation? A convocation is a gathering. It is an assembly. But it's not just, you know, on the seventh day, the people of God gather and do something. It's that they gather because it is a holy gathering. Leviticus 23, verse 3, God says this, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. In other words, it's a day of rest and it's a day of worship. I am telling you, every seventh day, you gather to worship God. It is a holy convocation. Throughout Scripture, keeping the Sabbath comes with the blessing of God. Isaiah 58 is one of these passages. God is telling his people in Isaiah 58, if you listen to my word and if you obey my voice and if you keep this Sabbath that I have given to you, he then says in Isaiah 58 verse 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord. It actually increases your relationship with God. It makes it better. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It is a blessing. It is for your good that God has given it to you. So keeping the Sabbath comes with God's blessing. Breaking the Sabbath comes with the warning of God. One of those places happens in the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, and the way that Amos talks about breaking the Sabbath is fascinating because it becomes economic exploitation. If you force everyone that I listed in this commandment, God says, if you force them to work on the Sabbath, you've made them your slaves. And that makes God angry. Amos chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell again and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Or in other words, they're saying we're going to take that day actually to increase our wealth, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great. That's a, that's a matter of economic manipulation and deal deceitfully with false balances. They're breaking the Sabbath, and the Lord will not forget, and the Lord will judge. So God takes this seriously. We make our way into the New Testament, and Jesus is walking down the street with his disciples, and they're picking grain, and they're, they're rubbing it between their fingers, and they're eating grain, and the Pharisees come by. And the Pharisees are always this wonderful glimpse into how legalism works. And they begin to complain with Jesus about their walking and their eating and their picking grain so it's harvesting and you're not allowed to do that according to the Pharisee on the Sabbath day. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2 says, look, you don't understand. 
Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning this is not about legalisms. This is about God's good for you. This is a gift God is giving you. Obey it, follow it, and it will be good. It's made for you. Isn't that incredible that God has given us this gift? Still thinking about the Sabbath, we almost always go to those very practical questions. How can I do it? I can't do it. You don't know what's due on Monday morning. You don't know who I work with. I still have to do all of these things on my Sabbath day. I can't take rest. Life is different now. We come up with these kinds of worries or concerns or excuses for the Sabbath day. But I think we're beginning to see that the Sabbath does mean rest. It is a different day from all of the other days. God intends that. But the more we understand the gift that it is, I think the more inclined we are going to be to take it seriously and actually make it a different day in our lives. So I want to talk about this for a couple of minutes, this notion that the Sabbath command establishes a pattern of work and rest and worship. We watched all of that happen here in these few verses in Exodus chapter 20. So I want to talk about work for a moment. The biblical idea of work. It's very easy for us to grow frustrated with work, to grow angry with work, for work to become the burden that we bear just long enough to get to a point where we can finally retire and not have to work anymore. We think about, well, this is what I have to do to put food on the table and shelter over our heads and clothes on our backs. This is just what I have to do to get to this point. So oftentimes work becomes this frustration to us. The biblical idea of work, something that God has given to us deliberately that he intends for our good. So here's what the biblical vision of work is. I want to talk about this for a moment. Work is anything meaningful we do that God equips us to do and can be done for his glory for the good of our neighbor and as part of the foreshadowing of his kingdom. There's a lot packed in there. But do you notice what's not in there? Work is what I do to make money. For many of us, those two things overlap very, very closely. But the biblical notion of work doesn't begin there. It begins someplace else. Anything meaningful that we do. It's filled with what God has called us to do. It's the result of the kinds of a vision and, the, and, and excitements that God gives us, the talent that God has given us in our hearts, our minds, our hands, whatever it is that we do, the ability that we have for creativity, anything meaningful that we do that, that has been given to us by God, that God equips us to do. So yes, this includes computer engineering. It also includes building a home and raising kids. Anything meaningfully we do that God equips us to do and can be done for his glory, 
There are a lot of things that we can do to make money that have nothing to do with the glory of God. But for those of us who belong to Jesus Christ, our perspective on work, our perspective even on the job that you have right now, the work that you do right now, in your home, out of the home, I think needs to be broadened by the biblical concept of what God is doing with us. This can be done for his glory. Did you know that probably it's the case for everybody in this room, whatever it is God has equipped you to do, you can do it for his glory. I'm guessing most of you aren't pimps. Because you can put your hand to that and you can, you know, put your effort into that. That's not biblical work. But what you're doing, even if you feel locked in a truck or you feel locked in a cubicle, can be done for the glory of God. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? And for the good of your neighbor. What you're doing with your work is not just for your fulfillment or the provision of those who are nearest to you. You are giving your gifts to your neighbor when you do this. And as part of the foreshadowing of his kingdom, we learn biblically that God is working inside of the lives of his people to reveal and bring his kingdom instead of the kingdom of this world. Whether you believe it or not, <laughs> what God has given you to do can be done as part of the foreshadowing of his kingdom. I see this a lot. I hear this from time to time from people who have a very loose grasp on scripture. They'll say this, work is the result of the fall. Adam and Eve were created to just lounge in the Garden of Eden. Biblically, that's not true. Adam and Eve were created to work. Part of the image of God in you and me today is still to work. God said, I'm going to give you dominion over all of the earth. They were intended to garden the earth, to take what God had given them in the Garden of Eden and to make it beautiful and to expand. He gave them dominion over all the earth. They were supposed to make the earth beautiful by the works of their hands. Fill the earth with more things like you. We need kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And he even gives Adam and Eve dominion over the animals. He classifies them. He names them. You imagine what that was like for Adam to do that. But God has given them work. Work is not the result of the fall. Toil is the result of the fall. Can you imagine Adam and Eve doing their work and none of it is toil and none of their time is wasted. I'm going to give this to you now, whether you like it or not, I believe this is the case. In eternity, we will still be people who work for the glory of God. But can you imagine working for the glory of God and in a way that fulfills the reason you were created and there's no toil and there's no waste and all of it is perfectly fruitful? God created us to work, and it is a gift from God. When we work, we provide for ourselves. We provide for those who are closest to us, and then we can give gifts to our neighbors. Sometimes these gifts are financial, but sometimes the gifts that we give when we work are literally our work. 
our time, our talent, and what we're able to do. I can spot a bad barista from 10 feet away. I need good baristas. <laughs> Man is right. We need good architects and engineers. We need good artists. We need good moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. We need good HVAC technicians and plumbers. And we need all of this. And when you do this for the glory of God, you give me your gifts. And it's a beautiful thing. This exchange that God has intended for us, when we give of our gifts to one another for the glory of God. So as a matter of fact, God's kind of work is one of the ways in which we fulfill one of those two great commandments in the New Testament to love our neighbors as ourselves is when we work. This is so serious to the Apostle Paul that he tells the Thessalonians, if anyone among you refuses to work, don't let them eat. Hmm. Would that change things? Not can't work, but refuses to work. This is how seriously this pattern is taken in Scripture. So seen this way, our work can be done for the glory of God. How is God built you? How has God created you to be fulfilled? Maybe that's part of what you do from Monday to Friday, so to speak. Maybe it is something else that God has laid in your heart to do. This is part of how God has built us, to give him glory and to love our neighbor. So God gives us work, but he's creating a pattern where there's a pocket in our lives for work, and then there is this pocket of rest that he commands. So God gives us the gift of rest. The Egyptian taskmasters would have given no days off whatsoever. Slaves worked, and then they died. But God builds in this mandatory day of difference for his people and for everyone connected to his people. This day isn't for toil, it is for rest, and it is for our relationship with God. Think about it like this. If we refuse the day of rest, we are still slaves to something. Something else is demanding seven days a week from us. Like the Egyptian taskmasters did for the Israelites before they were saved. So actually breaking the pattern of workaholism is one of the ways to break idolatry. Moses says in this commandment that the Sabbath command is based on God's creation pattern. This again, friends, is just such a, such a beautiful thing. Every now and then I get excited about something and then you guys are forced to listen to me for a few more minutes as I talk about what I get excited about. It's based on God's created creation pattern. And this is what scripture tells us, that God created in six days, and on the seventh he rested, and he made it a holy day. That happens in Genesis chapter two, the first three verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's an incredible passage of scripture because when we think of creation passages of scripture that talk about this, we think of Genesis chapter one and then Genesis chapter two also talks about some of God's creation pattern. 
We think in this day God created this, and this day God created this, and then we're given this pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. But it does not mean that God just, when he was done on the end of the sixth day, just sort of slips into the background and disappears until the end of the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean that he has quit working. God is still actually intimately involved in his creation. He's actually still holding it together and sustaining it by his presence and power. And God is still at work in the lives of his people. So he is still doing things, but it's different now. It's different than the days of creation. We think of Genesis 1 and 2 when we think of creation. There are other passages in the Old Testament that are absolutely beautiful about God's creative work. Job chapters 38 and 39 are a glorious pair of chapters. And I'm telling you, one of these days, you guys are going to have to sit through me preaching or teaching through the book of Job. Job 38 and 39 are beautiful. Psalm chapter 19 is about creation. Psalm chapter 104 is about God talking about his creation. And something really incredible happens at the end of Psalm 104. There is now a different relationship between God and his creation. God has given us a day of difference, the Sabbath day, because of his creation model. We also see now a different relationship between God and his creation. God worked to create all things. Now he rejoices in the glory of his creation, and creation rejoices in the glory of its creator. This is actually now part of the relationship between God and the Sabbath rest. So now he rejoices in the beauty and the glory of what he has done, and we read over and over in Scripture of how creation rejoices in the God that created it. The end of Psalm 104, verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure for the ever, forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. It was an incredible chapter to go through 104. And you get to the end of all that beauty and glory and power. God is the one who hung the stars, who put the Leviathan in his path, who handles the winds and the waves and the seasons, and now it is glorious, and the Lord rejoices in all of his work. Psalm chapter 19, the first two verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Creation is always pointing us toward the God who created it. Isn't that incredible? So when God rested, he did not cease from being involved with creation or with his creatures. So when we treat the Sabbath the right way, we're not becoming vegetables. We're not becoming useless individuals for 24 hours. We re-engage with God by putting other day-to-day -day things aside and reveling in his power and salvation. When we treat the Sabbath right, we're actually doing the opposite of ignoring God. We're taking this day as a gift. Whatever else has happened, we now put that aside, we change the way the day works, 
and we show up to revel in the power and the salvation of our God. It is a gift he has given you. It's a gift he's given us. So look at this, friends. On the Sabbath day, we are designed to join in the conversation of rejoicing and giving glory. We're designed to be in this conversation, to be a part of this. And so we're reminded over and over and over. We're going to stop all that. We're going to gather together. This day will be holy, and we will remember our God. Isn't this incredible about the Sabbath? We appreciate so many holidays for the break that they give us, for the things they allow us actually sometimes to memorialize, to remember the opportunity to gather with people that we love. And so it is on the Sabbath day, the break in the normal that allows us to remember and enjoy God and be with our spiritual family and revel in the gifts that God has given us. So we're designed to join in this conversation. And the Sabbath day, friends, is a day of worship. It is a holy convocation. It is a day created for us to remember God. This is a great time of year to invite people back to church. This is precious to us. This is important to us as the people of God. You know, I, I hear people every now and then say these kinds of things, and it just, it just makes me happy. They love driving up the hill and actually walking into this building once a week. It means something to them. The people they get to see and spend time with because it's different than the rest of the week. A couple of years ago, I would hear from moms and dads, this is the only stability my kids have. Thank you for doing this. This is a holy convocation. This is a day given to the Lord. There are a lot of people who over the last several years, for one reason or another, have just quit going to church, physically going to church. So many, in fact, that a lot of serious work is being done about learning who these people are. A lot of research, a lot of surveys, a lot of questions are being asked. Why did you leave? Um, who are you? Would you ever think about coming back again? And there's a large segment of individuals who have left the church in the last five to 10 years. When they answer the question, would you be willing to come back to church again? There's a segment of them in which 100% of them said, I would come back to church if a friend invited me. Isn't that interesting? This is precious to us. And it can be precious to them again. I encourage you. The month of September, some things are changing and resettling and patterns are going back into their sort of school system. Whatever it is, people have these changes on their minds. I encourage you. There are probably people in your lives that have just slipped off. Bring them to church next week. Invite them. Encourage them. This is a holy convocation. It is good for us to do this. So the Sabbath is a day of worship. Here in Exodus chapter 20, Moses says we do this, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So when we gather, we are remembering the power of God. 
Moses reiterates the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. He goes through all ten of them again. One of them is a little bit different, and it's the command for the Sabbath day. It happens in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So let's read this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner, the foreigner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you." You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We remember the salvation that God has given us. And notice again what God is planting in the lives of his people. You will never treat people the way you were treated. I need you to remember that you once were slaves. I need the people of God to remember that you were once a slave to sin, but God has freed you and made you a part of the kingdom of the son that he loves. So when we gather, we remember what God has done, that God has actually saved us. It is a different day. It's intended to be a different day in which our patterns are different. And we do this to remember God. We rest from our normal patterns because so often the normal patterns of our lives just squeeze God out of our attention, out of our hearts and minds. It shouldn't be, but it just is. So we make sure on this day that we rest from that and we worship God. We turn ourselves back to the God who created us and saved us. We remember all that he has done for us. And we gather with one another to encourage one another in the Lord. God healed somebody this morning. We gather to encourage one another in the Lord and what he has done. And we clear our hearts and minds so God can enter in. I'm going to finish with one of Jeremiah's sermons to the people of God. So yes, this is sermon number two this morning. Jeremiah chapter 17, God's prophet is told by God, I need you to go to the main city gate, the city gate where the kings come in and out. The image is, uh, this is where the kings display their authority. This is where they go out to battle. This is where they come back in victory. You go to that main city gate. That main city gate is also where all the commerce takes place. If you've ever been to Jerusalem or a city like that, you can imagine how crowded those streets get with the outdoor vendors and everything, all the trading and the bartering that happens inside of that street. And on one of those days, God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go to to the city gate in the middle of all of that bartering, and I want you to do it on the Sabbath day. And it turns out on the Sabbath day, all of this work is happening, and they're carrying wheat and grain and all of these things in and out of that gate that the king is supposed to be able to use. And Jeremiah says, if you stop, 
If you obey the command that God has given you and you obey the Sabbath, you will clear this gate and you will clear this street and the king can come. It's an incredible image. This day that God has commanded you to observe, you have filled with ordinary things and you're exploiting your neighbors. I need you to stop. I need you to obey the command that God has given you. It will clear the gate. It will clear the street. And the king will come.